She's a hard act to follow sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll start making her do it this last. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> she's not afraid of the devil either. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> okay. If we thought about going Pentecostal and just letting her preach. Yeah. But, <laughs> <clears throat> wouldn't make more money anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is our three verses that we're going to use this, this morning. But I didn't want to read it yet. Okay. <laughs> I guess we will. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness to us. Thank you for your wife, who loves you and serves you and faithful to you. And we thank you for each one of these missionaries. We thank you for what they, uh, the decisions that they've made and they continue to make. We pray for your grace, your protection, your power, uh, your wisdom for them. And may Jesus Christ be praised in all things. Guide us in the lesson this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I enjoy the missionaries. I, I really do enjoy the missionaries. I enjoyed the missionaries that sing, uh, missionary kids that sing. I thought about asking him to let me sing, but I'm afraid he'd drop my support when I, <laughs> when I, when I finish. <clears throat> but uh, we, do we do enjoy it. We enjoy missionaries. And by the way, I worked maintenance for three years while in college. Yeah, well, two years in the cafeteria. Yeah, that was easy. I got a promotion and I started cleaning all the professor's uh, offices, hauling the trash, cutting the grass, everything. I was the only guy on campus that was allowed into the girls' dorm. I had to go and get the garbage and take it out. Yeah, that's as far as I trusted them there. Anyway, uh, anyway, we're grateful. I'm grateful for the two or three missionaries who said they got nervous. I thought I was the only one that got nervous. Yeah, get up here. It's a whole lot easier when you're home talking to your people, but uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes you uh, uh, do get a little nervous. And... Um, and we'll be grateful for that also. We are happy to have two families as missionaries in Peru from Heartland Bible College. And the only thing wrong, nothing is wrong with that. We are here today to call the rest of you to Peru also, <laughs> okay. Really, we only want half of you to come and the other half to stay here and support us, okay? So, yeah, so that's what we want, uh, yeah. And uh, oh, we're Latinos, I'm trying to think. This, these guys are in hard places. We're in a great place. We're, we're, we're in an easy place. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Peru is open to the gospel. It's only five and a half hours flight from Miami. You get tired, you can come back, go to the beach at Miami, no. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't mean to start out this way, but uh, well, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to preach it, huh? Okay. 
But uh, we have, our people are warm. They're open to North Americans. They love you. Uh, they'll do anything for you. And, uh, and, and Peru's open to the gospel. When our seniors take a trip every year in the month of October, go into the provinces, uh, they get in the schools, they get in, preach on the, on the, on the plaza. Uh, anything, anything uh, that we want to do practically is, is open to us. And uh, we invite you, no? yeah, we invite you to come. Uh, think about it, yeah. And, uh, and the Lord is blessing and, he can, and we believe he's going to continue to bless there a while. Like any other place, there, there'd be difficulties. I have a sermon by Dr. Uh, our, Dr. Lee Robinson, who was pastor at Highland Park Baptist in Chattanooga for so many years and, and started uh, 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 the Christian schools there. I'll think of the name of it in just a minute. Any, anyway, uh, he says the battle is in the sermon that I have. He says the battle is everywhere and the battle is all the time. Even though we have a good, uh, a good place to work, uh, the battle is all the time. And there's, there, there will be difficulties. There will be trials. Like Gloria said, when we first got there, we thought everybody was leaving. We thought it was over with, but uh, uh, it's not that way. And so we, we're praying for more workers. We pray every day that God will call out more workers. And we trust that he'll be calling out some for Peru this week also. I want to talk to you about some the promises from the Great Commission, some promises from the Great Commission. I'm thankful for the other missionaries that they did not use my text. I thought that they, I thought they'd be used to it three or four times before now, but. So, but the Great Commission is a challenge to us to serve the Lord with all of our heart. In the Great Commission, God has personally promised some things to the person who is willing to accept the challenge to serve him. We have some promises from God uh, here in this great commission. First, he's promised us his presence, that he will be with us, and that he is capable of handling any problem uh, that might arise. Second, he has promised that he would give us a powerful message that would produce salvation. I was glad to learn that it didn't depend upon me. Uh, we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he works through the gospel, the message of salvation. And then third, he has promised to pr pr provide everything that we will need to do the work that he's given us to do. And right here, I was going to read my text. We already have my text. Okay, okay, we're good. First, out of verse 18 that we read, first he tells us that he is capable of handling any problem that might arise. He declares that all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. He is taking, he is asking us to go and to serve him. And if we will, he is telling us that he can take care of us if we'll just go with him and trust him. He declares that he has authority over everything that exists. He has authority over anything that might get in our way. He has authority over anybody that might get in our way. And he's saying that he can take care of any problem, anytime, any place. And we must trust him for that. And we must trust him for that. I'd like to say that Peru is, is not considered a dangerous mission field. And that's the way I feel about it. We talk about so many things that happen, but so many things happen in Oklahoma City also that would make it an unsafe place. But uh, Lima, 10 million people, it's like any big city. It can be dangerous. You need to know where you can go and know where not to go. Uh, I have been robbed on the sidewalk several times. I've, I've had three watches taken away. The one I got on now, we said take. Also, yeah, yeah. 
And I've lost a billfold that had a $100 bill in it. But normally they don't hurt you. They just want your stuff, you know. And uh, you'll be on the sidewalk and you'll all of a sudden realize there's two or three people around you and you'll feel your, your watch band break. And they will say, he did it. And they'll pass that thing on and, and, and take off. And uh, they're bigger than you. And so you let them have it. Uh, yeah. Okay. But many years ago at the seminary one Saturday morning, about four o'clock, in the morning, three armed robbers came onto the property. Uh, one climbed over the wall and hid behind a hedge, and another one went to the, to the gate and started acting like a drunk, is one of the methods that they use. And our night watchman, Louise, uh, uh, he went out to see about things, and what he did, they pulled a gun on him, and they wanted to get in, into the house, and break through one of the windows on our patio, and, and take what they could out of the house. Well, Louise, the night watchman, was a student. Louise grew up, we say we, he grew up in the street. He is a streetwise. He may have spent some time in jail, but he didn't want that to happen. Uh, and he said, he told him, he says, there's an alarm on that. And, and uh, if you break that window, the alarm's going to sound. It'll be better if we go around to the pastor's window and, and call him. And I'll tell him that I'm sick and I want him to come out and take me to the hospital. And they came around to our bedroom window and he called me. But he called me by the name of one of the other missionaries. And then he called Gloria by the name of the wife of yet another mission, another missionary. And I looked out the window and he looked, he looked sick. But there was a guy down below the window with a gun pointed at him. And I told Gloria, I said, he is either out of his head with a fever or there's somebody out there with him. And I said, okay, Luis, uh, go around to the office door and wait for me. And I'll get ready and I'll come out and I'll take you to, I'll take you to the hospital. And I got dressed. I got out my shotgun. <laughs> I loaded my shotgun. Double up buckshot. We don't use birdshot, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I took too long for them. And they took him around to the door of the office, put his, put his face in the door, put the gun to his head. And we're waiting for us to come. And as I said, I took, I took too much time. And so they said, let's go back and call him again. Uh, by the time I got to the door from our house into the office, Louise had stepped out away from behind the door. So I was able to see him when I opened the door. And uh, he started again, I'm sick. I need you to take me to the doctor. But he looked to where the guy was behind the door. He let me know where the, uh, that gunman was. And the fellow came around, started around towards me with, the, uh, with his pistol. And uh, I stepped back inside and I checked the safety on that shotgun. I have always been afraid to need to shoot that gun, shoot that gun and that safety would be on. So I checked the safety. I opened the door. The guy had stayed behind our office. I opened the door, swung that shotgun around, jammed it through the window, fired that thing, bloom. And when I looked, I had shot the window out of my GMC Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> I stepped back in the house. I pumped that gun again. Uh, same thing. I realized I had shot the car, so I was going to raise the barrel some. Jammed it through the window, fired it, but a cross member on that window caught my barrel, and I shot my Suburban on the other side. <laughs> but they begin to run, and that's, yeah. 
with glass breaking, the gun, uh, the shotgun going off. Uh, one was hidden on each side of, the, of our building and they took off, ran to the street. One of them realized that, Jim, that, that Louise had deceived them and said, shoot the night watchman. And uh, Louise being intelligent, he ran for it. I jammed the gun through the front window and shot again and thank the Lord they left and, and they never came back again. <laughs> and after everything had settled down, Gloria came around and she said, you know, if we lived in the old West, you would have just killed both of our horses. But the Lord still looks after us. He takes care of us. During the years of the Shining Path terrorists, they, they were a terror in Peru for a number of years. And the police captured some of their plans about taking over the country. And the first thing that they were going to do was attack the police on the street in public, kill them in public. One would come up to a policeman on the street in downtown Lima, ask him for directions. One would come up behind him, shoot him in the back. They'd pick up his gun and they'd walk away. Nobody was going to intervene uh, or, or bother them. And uh, during several years, they killed 30,000 police and military personnel uh, trying to take over the country by, by force in that way. The second thing that they had planned to do was to attack the religious people, the Catholics, the Protestants, the priests, uh, the Baptist missionaries, and we didn't think that was a, a good idea. But one Wednesday night before time to leave for our church service, a Volkswagen pulled up uh, in, near our gate on the other side of our property, uh, to the, over there close to the gate. Our seminary has a hundred meters of frontage and we have a gate on each side. Another missionary lives over on the other side and they had pulled up by his door uh, just shortly before we were supposed to go to, to, to church. And, uh, uh, they just parked and stayed there. Uh, the, the same night watchman, Louise, went to a different church a little further away and he rode the bus and he would leave before us. He left, walked past the Volkswagen while it was parked and uh, he saw the two men in the car. One had an automatic pistol, a rifle, the other one had a pistol in his hand. And Louise kept walking. He crossed the Pan American Highway over to the bus stop but he waited to see what the guys in the Volkswagen would do. And they stayed parked. Uh, they were waiting, they were waiting for somebody. And it was getting time for us to leave for church. And Louise decided he better try to do something. And he walked back across the highway, past the Volkswagen, down to my gate. He had his flashlight with him. He shined the flashlight back at the Volkswagen two or three times. He opened the gate. He came in running and calling my name. The Volkswagen pulled up to our gate, paused a minute, and then drove on. What did I do? I went and got my shotgun. <laughs> and I loaded it, and then we called the anti-terror squad at the police station. They came out, a truckload of soldiers. It was real bad at that time. Uh, we explained what had happened. They, they did not doubt us, and they stayed and talked with me a few minutes, and then they said, you be careful. I said, I will, and I put the loaded shotgun under the front seat, and we went to church. And that was really the first time I ever felt like a redneck going to church with a loaded <laughs> shotgun under the front seat, yeah. But the Lord has to take care of us whether we're here or whether we're there. 
The second thing that I want us to see is the, is the power of his message. Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then in verse 20, he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. His message that we teach is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know the verse, the missionary Paul uh, said in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The message brings with it the power of God. My eloquence does not bring the power of God. The message uh, brings the power of God. First Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. The power of God works through the message of salvation. When Paul knew that he was finishing up his life and his ministry, he was going home. Uh, he expected Timothy to carry on his ministry. He wrote 2 Timothy at that time. He wrote Timothy to encourage him and then to instruct him in some things. And two of the things I mentioned uh, from Paul writing to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Timothy, study the Word of God. Uh, study the Bible. Study so that you can rightly divide the Word of God. And then chapter 4, verse 2, he said, Timothy, after you study, he says, he says preach it. You preach the Word of God. You study it and you preach it. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching uh, to save them that believe. It pleased God and it still pleases God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Uh, Gloria and I were just in the States last uh, February and March for a checkup, see the family. We were going back to Peru and uh, we got shut down here. And we have been living in the mission apartment in my home church over in Alabama, Saraland, Alabama, uh, in the back of the gym, up the stairs, out back. Uh, they have a real nice apartment there for us. And we were there. And uh, uh, I went and bought me a radio with AM on it and started listening to Christian, the Christian radio station. In the summertime, I'd get up early, uh, get my coffee, go out on the little porch there and listen to the preaching. At six o'clock, J. Vernon McGee would start off with his Mississippi accent uh, through the Bible. 6.30, it was Tony Evans from Oak Cliff, and I love to hear Tony get get involved uh, in his message sometimes. David Jeremiah at 7 o'clock from San Diego. Then Michael Usepp from Atlanta. 7.30, 8 o'clock, Chuck Swindle. 8.30, Charles Stanley from Atlanta. 9 o'clock, uh, Stephen Davey from uh, Cary, North Carolina, and then John MacArthur. About eight of them right in a row. And I had a lot of time then because churches were not open. And if you listen to that much preaching, it does something to you. It shows you what you're doing and what you're not doing. It shows you your sins. And it showed me my sins. And I'm not going to tell you about my sins either. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But it helps you to see that there are some needs and, and God by His grace gives us the opportunity to get those things straight and to go on. But I enjoyed the preaching. These guys study the Bible. It's very evident that they study the Bible. And when they preach, they open the Bible and they say, the Bible says this, and then they, they explain it. And then the Holy Spirit of God takes the message of salvation and He converts the soul. David Jeremiah said, uh, 
the first day of the quarantine back in March, he said they told him that they registered 130 professions of faith in one day from his radio program. He said it's, uh, his broadcast is replayed 3,000 times a week around the world. He started a weekend TV program and he said in June, they told him that there were 5 million viewers of his message uh, preaching the gospel. And I thought, how can they finance all of this? And how can they do all of that? But it's because they're preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that there is enough income, that the Lord takes care of that, that he provides uh, for that. The scripture tells us that the Lord will provide that which we need. You know? uh, he, he tells us that my uh, Philippians, my God will supply all your need. And I teach our guys in, in Peru that your need is determined by what you're doing. And if you're not doing anything, you don't need anything. Yeah, but if you're working at it, yeah, the Great Commission sends you to do a work. And if you're working at it, there is a need in God so graciously. He has the means and he can respond. Uh, we look to him. I remember the first time uh, when I was trusting the pastor for my, all my needs as a missionary. I'd driven Mobile, Alabama all the way to, to uh, Dallas and they had they had canceled the mission conference and they forgot to tell me. Yeah, that's, that's lots of fun. Yeah, and we drove uh, 500 miles to get there and it's gonna be 500 miles back. And uh, he gave me a check and back at that time it was $50. It didn't pay for the gas. I said, Lord, what's wrong with this preacher? And he said, who are you trusting? Yeah. And that was the last time I blamed a preacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, the Lord is he who supplies uh, our need. And we are to be doing what he told us to do. After debutation many years ago, uh, that was the good old days. We raised our support in 11 months way back then. But after debutation, we went to language school in Mexico and they told us in the course that we took there, it would take nine months, and they said when we finished, we would have know the grammatical structure of the Spanish language. And they said if we were good students, uh, that we would leave there with a vocabulary of a first grader. <laughs> yeah, the vocabulary of a first grader. How am I going to evangelize the world with a vocabulary of a first grader? <laughs> yeah. I arrived in Peru and we started to work, but we rented a little house. We knocked on doors. We invited people to church. Finally, some began to attend. Uh, and then when they came with the stuttering eloquence of a first grader, I started teaching them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it wasn't long until some of them got saved and then some more of them got saved. And after a while, we established the church and, and then the church will establish its ministries after that. Today that church is 50 years old, it's a little over 50 years old. It has a Christian school uh, that runs from kindergarten all the way through high school. And every Sunday they preach the gospel there. Every Sunday they preach the gospel there. He has given us a message that's a powerful message. And if we will get the message out, the Holy Spirit of God will work through that message. The third thing, the third promise of the Great Commission is his promise of provision. And we've touched on it briefly. But reviewing these three verses, he tells us, first of all, that he has all power in heaven and earth. He's telling us that for a purpose. Right. 
He wants us to be aware of that, that he has all power in heaven and earth. And then he says, now, if you will go, and he's implying, I'll go with you with all this power. If you'll go and if you'll teach the message of salvation, he says, I will be with you. I'll be with you always, even to, to the end of the world. He wants to work with us. Uh, he's ready to work with us. He's just waiting on us to get started. And he wants, uh, he wants us to respond to him. And he is with us to help us. And he's with us to protect us. And he's with us to supply whatever it is that we may need to do the work that he's called us to do. He is by my side. And when I need something that is for his glory, uh, he will supply it. And we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for that. A year ago last October, Gloria and I went to the jungle city of Iquitos uh, for the 10th anniversary of the church that Jairo Torres had started, one of our graduates there in the Bible school. A little over 20 years ago, one Saturday morning, about a week before classes started at the school, uh, the front gate bell rang and I went out to answer the door. And there stood a young man. He had a little sports bag in one hand. He had his Bible in the other hand. And he said, I'm Jairo and I've come to study. And he came from the jungle city of Iquitos. I didn't know he was coming. I was glad to see him. Uh, and because he didn't have airfare to pay for the hour and a half flight from the jungle into Lima, it took him five days to get to school. Uh, first by riverboat and then he crossed the Indies uh, on an old bus. Jairo's mother died when he was 12. His father was long gone before that. Juan, the associate pastor at the church, took him in and uh, more or less became his adopted father. Uh, the dorm rooms were not ready at the seminary that day, and uh, I sent him on out to the chapel to rest a while. He slept for a couple of hours, got up, and started looking for a job. And I've always liked that. Uh, he started looking for a job. He only had enough money to eat for two weeks. I gave him a job at the seminary. He was a good student. Uh, he wound up living with on the seminary property for about seven years. Uh, he married a preacher's daughter that's also a graduate. And when one of our graduates gets married, we don't give them a wedding gift. We save up a little bit of money for them. And then the day of their wedding, uh, they need some money. We give them cash in their hand. We got to Hyrule's uh, wedding on time. Uh, the hour indicated and if you do that you're an hour early for the Peruvians they'll get there a little bit later but we got early for, there for early for his wedding uh, he was ready out on the sidewalk waiting I got went over and talked to him a few minutes I gave him the money and he walked three doors up the street to the bakery and finished paying for his wedding cake and they walked the cake down the street and down into the basement for the re for the reception Jairo worked in the church in Lima for several years, preparing to go back to Iquitos, his hometown, to start a church. Iquitos is a city of 400,000 people on the Amazon River. Jairo went and he raised his support. He went, he started a church in a rented building. Uh, several years later, he started a second church. There was some property available and they started that church, that reached there. Then a little over two years ago, he was invited to start a church in a community on the banks of the Amazon River, about 30 minutes downriver from the city of Iquitos. Uh, that week that we were over there for the anniversary on Saturday, we took the members of the two churches with, down the 30 minute ride down the Amazon to the the new location where we was going to be starting up, where he's already started up for a Saturday celebration. And it was, we were going to have a baptism. We had a baptism in the river. 
The boat that we took to the church was public transportation. It cost 90 cents to go 30 minutes down the Amazon. The boat looked somewhat homemade with a makeshift plastic roof to protect you from the rain and from the, uh, from the uh, heat. And I looked around for life jackets and up, <laughs> and up in the front of the boat, there were five stuck up there between the plastic. There were only 29 church people on the bus, but that was one life preserver for every six people. I mean, what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we started to cry out on the, on the Amazon. The traffic keeps to the right. We went across to the other side to start down the river. And uh, the rains had not, had not started in the Andes and the river, the, the Amazon was down. And over on the other side, there was some sandbars and so forth that the pilot, Hiro, had led him to the Lord before. And he knew the river. He knows the river. And he was going slowly through these sandbars. And all of a sudden, he, he, he hit a sandbar. And that boat came to a jerk. And all those city people didn't know about the river. There was a nervous life. They went through the place. I looked around to see how far it was to shore, just in case. It was about 200 yards to, to shore. And then I thought, who got the life jackets? I looked around, they were gone, they were disappeared. I never did see the life jackets again, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as we got through there and we traveled on down the, the river, got started traveling down the river, Hiro stood up and he said, let's sing. And they broke into hymns from the Baptist hymnal and they started praising God. And that boat, singing songs that I grew up singing, singing songs that you sing here. And a wave of joy came over my soul like I've never had before. We had started churches in Lehman. We started churches just across on the edge of the jungle. And Hydra was starting churches here. We have two other pastors, graduates of the school in that city, also uh, starting churches. And uh, it was a thrill. It was a thrill uh, to do that and to be there. And I said, this is why I came. Uh, this is what it's all about. And I remembered the 20 years before when I answered the front gate and he said, I'm Hiro and I've come to study. And at that time, everything that he owned in this world was in his two hands. And that little sports bag was all of his clothes. And he had his Bible uh, in the other hand. And God has so graciously responded to him. Uh, Juan, his adopted father, the associate pastor, well, he works with Hyrule now in his church. Uh, one, they were making out the D, uh, out his will when we were there uh, a year or so ago. And uh, his will, the only heir is going to be Hyro for his, the house and the property there. Uh, he has his own home. A family from one of the churches in Lima went to Spain to work for a while. They saved their offerings. They came back, went, flew over to Iquitos. They bought, one, uh, they bought Jairo a mototaxi, uh, motorcycle with two wheels on the back with a bench in, mid, in the middle. There are hundreds of thousands of them all over the, the jungle there. And uh, they bought him a new one and gave it to him. It's his family transportation. It costs between $3,500 and $4,000. The Lord graciously supplies the things that he needs. Hiro made a decision to trust God. He made a decision to believe the promises and to give his life to the Lord. And God is faithful to respond and God is responding. These 20 years have passed and we've had the privilege to see him grow in the Lord, to grow in the ministry. Hiro has a, a great wife, 
uh, a preacher's kid wife, a dedicated wife. They have three little girls that sing specials in the church. He started three churches and they have fellowship together. And he introduced us to his young people, two of them that would be coming back, coming to Lima to go to Bible school. We've seen the ministry go full circle in the life of Hyrule. And it's such a thrill. They'll come to Bible school and then they'll go back and they'll start a church and then they'll have some young people and it'll keep on going. One of the privileges of staying a while is getting to see that, getting to see that. Uh, we, we have great pastors and great churches in Peru. We have great people and we have a great deal of space left for a lot more workers. If God would speak to your heart about it. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness to us. It's more than we can understand. And we know that your grace is sufficient in each and every need. We thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for each one of the missionaries and the work that they represent. We pray that you'll meet each and every need that they have, that you will supply, and that you'll send more workers to accompany them in those places uh, that you've chosen for them. And we ask that Christ be praised in all these things. In his name we ask it. Amen.